It is the dawning of the Age of Aquarius, or is it? The fabled Age of Aquarius doesn't mean anything at all. Ever since the musical Hair was first performed back in 1967, there has been this vague sense that the Aquarian Age had something to do with hippies, or free love, or world peace, or, or something. Anyway, from that long-haired point of view, the age of Aquarius probably ended about 50 years ago. Unless you bring up the subject among a group of astrologers, then what you will typically see has very little to do with harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding. Then what you will typically see is closer to World War III. Opinions on the subject of the astrological ages tend to be trenchant, and the general thrust of them usually runs down the road of claiming that the age of Aquarius is real enough, but that it is still way off in the far distant future. I disagree. I think we are in it now. I think we have been in it, actually, for a bit over a century already. In this newsletter and podcast, I want to make my case that the age of Aquarius dates back to 1903-1905 in that range. Now, let's start with science class. That's where really where it all begins. So Earth's North Pole describes a slow circle in the sky, sort of like a child spinning top winding down, if you remember those ancient wooden tops. This cycle, the North Pole spinning around, is called the precession of the equinoxes. It's really slow. It's take, it takes 25,771 years and six months to go around once. Now, as the North Pole leans first this way, then circles around that way, naturally the position of the celestial equator shifts too. You tilt the child's top, and you can't help but tilt the painted stripes on its sides as well. There are four points that we really need to understand here, and that'll be the science class part of, of this presentation. Number one, at the solstices, the sun is maximally far north or south of the celestial equator, while at the equinoxes, the sun is aligned with the celestial equator. And the celestial equator, that's just the Earth's equator projected out onto space. Point number two. Remember, the sun is always on the ecliptic. The sun is what defines the ecliptic. Point number three. Two plus two makes four. At the equinoxes, the sun is where the celestial equator and the ecliptic cross. Point number four. That point where they cross is slowly moving backwards through the constellations, taking that 25,771 and a half years to return to where it started. What all this boils down to is the fact that the sun's position on the first day of spring, or the first day of autumn, relative to the starry background, is slowly precessing in retrograde fashion, going backwards. Gradually, it shifts from constellation to constellation. Now, four or five millennia ago, on the day of the northern hemisphere vernal equinox, the sun rose into the constellation Taurus. After some centuries, it began to rise into the constellation Aries, 
and then eventually into the constellation Pisces. I emphasize the word constellation because constellations are different from astrological signs. That, as we will see, is the key to the entire mystery. Most of us Western astrologers define the first degree of Aries as the position of the sun on the day of the nor northern vernal equinox. Long ago, it aligned with the actual constellation of stars we call Aries, but no longer. Here's the whole thing in one sentence. Astrology, as most of us practice it in the West, is based on the seasons, not on the stars. Now, Vedic astrologers and the Western Sidereolists still use constellations, kind of a separate subject. God bless us one and all. Theoretically, defining the ages is very simple. The age of Pisces began when the vernal equinox left the constellation Aries and entered the constellation Pisces. End of story. And the age of Aquarius began, or will begin, when it enters the constellation Aquarius. Simple? Not exactly. The question is, where exactly does the constellation Aquarius begin? Actually, when you think about it, all we have up in the sky is a bunch of stars. There are no boundaries around them. Different cultures have connected the starry dots differently. Constellations are folklore, not any kind of objective, measurable reality. Now, that fuzziness about constellation boundaries was an inconvenience for astronomers, which they solved by committee. The boundaries of the 88 official constellations were adopted by the International Astronomical Union in 1928 and published in 1930. If we take the IAU to be the holy gospel of truth, the vernal equinox will enter Aquarius around the year 2600 AD beginning of the age of Aquarius, by that standard, we're not even close to the dawning of the age of Aquarius. So put away your guitars and your bell-bottom blue jeans. But as I mentioned earlier, many serious astrologers poo-poo the notion that we have already entered the age of Aquarius and just call it hype and silliness. Their argument is founded upon their great and unquestioning faith in the map of the sky that the International Astronomical Union published almost a century ago. There are some problems with that kind of thinking, however. Now, have a look at this diagram if you uh, want to really understand this. I say this diagram, it's, it's in the text version of this newsletter. Obviously, in an audio, I can't show you a diagram. If you really want to understand this, you may want to have a look at that. Now, on the left of this diagram, you can see the position of the sun on the northern vernal equinox around 4,500 years ago, long time ago. Did it fall in Taurus or Aries? There is no actual boundary in the sky, but just looking at it, it sort of leans Taurus, a vague statement, and that's kind of the point. On the right, you will see the sun's equinox position today and it is still very much in the constellation Pisces. Case closed. Again, many astrologers are adamant about that claim, 
Personally, I think that they're taking the International Astronomical Union a bit too seriously. For one thing, if we follow the IAU's lead scrupulously, we need to add a 13th astrological sign, Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus. It's on the ecliptic too. Back to our diagram. You'll note that the constellation Aries is tiny compared to Pisces. Constellations vary enormously in size. Virgo is the biggest zodiacal constellation by far, number of square degrees, you know, and Capricorn is the smallest. But absolute astrological bedrock is the idea that all the signs are equal in size. Should we abandon that principle? Twelve equal divisions. That is the core of astrological geometry. Nothing against the International Astronomical Union, but let's try thinking like astrologers. Let's take a leap and postulate that there are 12 equal, let's call it constellations in quotes, up there in the sky, each one 30 degrees wide. I put constellations in quotation marks because we would no longer be thinking according to the IAU's constellation boundaries nor would we be bound to Eurocentric folk traditions about how to arrange these configurations of stars. The, these new constellations would not be our familiar signs of the zodiac either, although they will retain the same names. Fine, but all of this brings us back to our central problem. Where does our constellation Aries begin? We still cannot see a mark in the sky. Let's go right back to astrological bedrock. As above, so below. But of course that also means as below, so above. Maybe if we can't answer our question here by looking at the sky, we can answer it by looking at human history. Astrology works. Each one of these levels should reflect the other. Sky and human events, human events and sky. Now, 12 equal constellations, in quotes, would mean that each astrological age would last for one-twelfth of that 25,771 and a half years. Each astrological age would then be 2,147 years and six months long. Now, when did the Piscean age begin? We can write volumes about Pisces, but let's cut to the chase by simply thinking of it as the most mystical sign. Reasoning from history, rather than from astronomy, we might arbitrarily split the difference between the births of the two great mystical teachers, Buddha and Christ, born in approximately 563 and 4 BC, respectively. We might include Muhammad, but he was not born until much later, 571 AD, so I'm not going to include him here. Just using Gautama and Jesus and splitting the difference, that would give us 283 BC for a wildly hypothetical, wild-ass guess about when the Piscean Age began. This is obviously quick and dirty thinking, but let's see where it leads us. We do know that sometime around then, we would have been emerging from the age of Ares, an epic of bloody conquests, swords, and cities laid to waste as history records. 
as Aries gave way to Pisces, it seems reasonable to speculate that people might have been ready to hear from the Prince of Peace or a Prince of Peace or two. Now, moving on, Aquarius in a nutshell, limiting ourselves to one word as we did with Pisces, let's say Aquarius represents genius. One might therefore speculate that the outset of an Aquarian age would be heralded by some startlingly brilliant, rule-breaking human innovations. Now, adding 2,147 and a half years to 283 BC, and remembering that AD started with 1 AD, not 0 AD, to split some hairs, would yield 1865 for the hypothetical beginning of the Aquarian age, presumably an age of genius. But do recall, that we arrived at our 283 BC date in very crude fashion. There is no compelling reason to be rigid about that date, just a starting point. If we had a good reason to shift it by a few decades, that would not be anything about which we would need to worry. I personally like 1903, 1905 in that range, which is really just 40 years later. Uh, that would coincide with the first powered airplane flight, the Wright brothers taking off from Kitty Hawk on the Outer Banks of North Carolina on December 14, 1903. Humans learning how to fly. Doesn't that sound like an Aquarian rebellion against all limitations? Doesn't that sound like a new level of human freedom? Doesn't learning to fly ring of human genius? I also like the publication of Einstein's Special Theory of Relativity, September 26, 1905. Albert Einstein, just say the word genius, and it takes most people under 10 seconds to free associate to his name. One could make a case that the theory of relativity is the greatest intellectual triumph in human history. Now, 1903 to 1905, not quite the same as 1865, but with ages running over two millennia in length, 40 years is a drop in the bucket. My favorite line here, which feels really definitive to me, is that we went from Kitty Hawk to the moon in 66 years. That's worth saying twice. We went from Kitty Hawk to the moon in 66 years. Doesn't that sound like the cusp of a new age? Doesn't that sound like leaving the age of Pisces and entering the age of Aquarius? Again, uh, standing back for a moment, in all of this, we are reasoning from below to try to figure out what is going on above. We don't know in any meaningful, confident way where the constellations start and finish. That's our basic problem. So we turn our usual astrological methods on their heads. We look to events on the earth to understand the sky, backwards from the way we usually do it. Reflecting on how the 20th century changed the elemental texture of human life makes a compelling argument that we are on the right track with this kind of thinking. And it, of course, goes way beyond airplanes and Einstein. Think of electricity. Think of automobiles. Think of the internet. You know the list. The implications for the global community of moving out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius are vast. In this brief newsletter and podcast, 
I have only wanted to spell out the technical challenges we face in trying to decipher these mysteries and to begin to make my case that we actually entered the Aquarian Age over a century ago. Now, I hope you've gotten something out of this. As usual with this monthly presentation, I, I just want to make some gift to the community of astrologers and stay connected, and I, I, want, to, uh, I want to offer it for free. Um, I have also made a, a, a long video extracted from a, an apprenticeship program I did, uh, a, a video about the cycle of the ages. It, it took some time. It's a little uh, over two hours long. Uh, if you go to the text version of this newsletter, you can see a place to, to buy it if, if you want to. Um, and uh, beyond that, uh, on the 13th of February, I plan to do a webinar that is purely questions and answers, kind of discussion about the, the broader implications of leaving the age of Pisces and entering the age of Aquarius. If you've gotten something out of this newsletter, uh, you, you will have at least some basis for understanding that, that discussion. It'll be about 90 minutes long. That's our plan on February 13th. You can sign up for it in the text version of, of this newsletter as well. You probably understand that, that Q&A a little better if you'd seen that two-hour video. That's up to you. But at any rate, back in, in the text version of the newsletter, you'll see an option to, to, to just you know, hit escape and that's it, or you can, you can buy the video, or, or you can uh, sign up for, for the webinar or you can get a discount on the video and sign up for the web webinar in kind of a, a package. That's up to you. Forgive me sounding so much like a merchant here, but uh, I just wanted to let you know that if you'd like to go a little deeper into this, there are ways of doing it. But uh, welcome to the age of Aquarius. It is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And I think that's pretty obvious if we instead of arguing about astronomical technicalities, simply look through our eyes with common sense and see how the world has changed since the beginning of the previous century. Welcome to a new world, and let's hope astrology can help us navigate it with grace. Thank you.